I want to begin today by giving you two separate kind of wildly different thoughts to think about. Uh, And then hopefully by the end, you'll kind of see how they relate to each other. The first one is your tongue. Now, maybe you don't spend a lot of time thinking about your tongue. We used to be able to do so many fun things with our tongue. We could stick our tongue out at each other. You could blow a raspberry at somebody. But now if you do that, you just end up with spit all over your face or a wet mask that's going to press against your face for so long. Maybe some of you used to show off the tricks that you can do with your tongue. Maybe you can roll your tongue. You can pull it in and make the little four-leaf clover. Uh, Maybe you could touch your tongue with your nose. I've never understood why anyone, or understood, understanded. What, where's that come from? I've never understood why anybody would want to take your tongue and touch it to your nose. Just does not seem like something I'd want to do, but I don't have that ability, so maybe I don't understand. Uh, So your tongue, though. I got lost in the internet, full disclosure this week uh, as I was researching for this. So I know lots of random trivia about your tongue. Did you know that the average human tongue is 3.1 to 3.3 inches long? And the Guinness Book of World Records for the longest tongue on record is 3.97 inches. I debated the picture, but trust me, you'll thank me that I did not put that picture in the slideshow. Also, your tongue weighs on average, 2.1 to 2.5 ounces. So super small. One of the things I thought that was most interesting is your tongue is actually eight individual muscles that work together to control. And it is one of the only muscles in the body not connected to a bone. So you can think about that while you're there. Uh, Last fun fact, your taste buds are housed on your tongue. We each have an average of 2,000 to 10,000 taste buds. Now, what I didn't know is that your taste buds fall off. Every 14 days, you get a whole new set of taste buds. Now, what, right, yeah, it just falls off. They're actually inside your mask right now, so you can check that out and look. Uh, But what that means for us today is... uh, that we've had two new rounds of taste buds since we were last together on the first Sunday of a month. So there is a chance that the communion wafer will taste better today than it did last month. And so you can hope for that. And those of you at home who are going to take communion on like fresh baked bread, just know that we're really, really jealous. But those taste buds enable us to taste things like sweet and sour and salty and bitter And it's what helps us to enjoy the food we eat. Okay, thought one, the tongue. Thought two, change minds, shift gears with me. When you think of wisdom, what do you think of? Who is the wisest person you know? And what, (laughs) there is audience participation happening in the room. This is great. So, uh, So, and what makes that person so wise? Is there a difference, as you think about the wisest person you know, is there a difference between the wisest person you know and the most intelligent person you know? Is there a difference between wisdom and intellect? So for those of you online who didn't hear it yelled out, I also think of Dumbledore when I think of one of the wisest people I know. So I am a Harry Potter fan. Our family loves the books, the movies, all of it. 
And Dumbledore always seems to come up with the right wise statement at the right time that Harry needs uh, in just that time. But sometimes he tells it in a fable, so Harry doesn't totally get it. That's why Harry needs friends. But in book four, Dumbledore says something that I think is maybe one of the wisest things he says. He looks at Harry and he says, Harry, dark and difficult times lie ahead. Soon we must all face the choice between what is right and what is easy. We must face the choice between what is right and what is easy. And I actually think those words are wise because of the way they tie into what James says in his book. And so as James writes this letter to the Jewish Christians living in the world in the first century, what James does is he ties these two concepts together. And if you miss everything else I say today, don't miss this. Godly wisdom in our hearts is evident by the words of our mouths. Godly wisdom in our hearts is evident by the words of our mouths. Now we're going to take a look at James chapter 3, verse 1. If you've got your phone, pull it out, open your Bible app or your Bible. You can open that up to James chapter 3. And we'll see what James, what I mean when I say that. But if you haven't been with us for a couple of weeks or it's been a while, that's great. We're glad you're back, but we want you to know where we're at. We're in the middle, week four of a a uh, series we're calling Pressure Points through the book of James, where we've been looking at the practical wisdom and practical knowledge that James gives us to live everyday lives as followers of Christ. And so today we're going to take a look at James chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. And he says this, Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. I feel like we need to pause there. I know that all of you have a verse in the Bible that if you had the power or authority or God came to you and said, you may remove one verse from all of scripture. You know what that verse is for you, right? There's something you've heard, somebody's preached it. You're like, I want that. This is mine. I would just cut it out. If you know anything about me, I do not need stricter rules. I don't really like unstrict rules. So the idea of having stricter rules than everybody else is just not my thing. But that's what God says. Verse 2. Indeed, we all make many mistakes. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect. And could also control ourselves in every other way. We can make a great horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. A small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go. Even though the winds are strong, in the same way the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. But a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire, and among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness, corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire for it is set on fire by hell itself. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is, a restless, it is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and God, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth, 
Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. James has some pretty harsh words for us about the tongue. And if you've been with us, you know this is not the first time James has talked about the tongue. And it's not the first time he's been harsh in his words about what we say. James chapter 1, verse 26, he says, If you claim to be religious, but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. If, if these words from James 3 and James 1 don't hit you, I would encourage you keep reading them until they do. I think what James knows and what he's trying to get at, and he says it repeatedly, is our words matter. More than maybe we ever knew, maybe more than we want to admit, but words matter. And he starts by saying words that are skillfully used can shape someone's future. He uses the image of a bit in the mouth of a horse or the rudder on the back of a large ship. These small things that can shape and direct a person's future. It sounds a lot like a three-inch, two-ounce tongue in relation to the human body. I am sure you can think about a time when someone's words change the course of your life in a positive way. I had a chance this summer to go back to Buffalo, New York, to a camp I worked at for two years in college, to the camp that in high school I first decided I was really going to follow Jesus and be serious about it. I went back for the funeral of the camp president. He lived to be 94, passed away, and he had spoken so many words into my life. But in the course of being there, I ran into a guy named Jay. Now, when I was at camp, I was, when I met Jay at camp, I was 20, 20 years old. Jay was on my staff. I was the summer program director. Jay was just full of energy. Great kid, always had a smile from ear to ear, no matter what was going on. I don't honestly remember a single conversation I had with Jay. I remember him being there. I remember he was all about fitness. And so we did push-ups every night after the kids went to bed. But Jay walked up to me and he said, hey, I just wanted you to know something. The time you invested in me this summer or that summer changed my life. I was like, what do you mean? I haven't kept up with Jay. I didn't know what he was doing. Turns out the next year he came back and he was program director of the camp the next year. And then he stayed on for five years. And now he is the head of a college and career ministry at a church in Buffalo, New York with five campuses, 6,000 people, and he ministers to about 1,500 college students every week. We don't know what word we'll speak that will change somebody's life. But that's the power that a skillfully crafted word has in the life of somebody else. In the same way, James says, a thoughtless word can destroy someone's life. We've all been there, right? Somebody said something, they didn't think anything about it, and we were crushed. I honestly think whoever said, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, probably lived under a rock. 
Because words tear us apart faster than anything in our lives can. James says it's just like a spark. I can't imagine that the family who gathered for a party at El Dorado Park Ranch last fall ever thought that the little spark that they set off would create this fire that destroyed homes and lives and and acres and acres of land. My guess is that harsh word we spoke to someone we never thought would burn their life to the ground. So if I tell you a good story about myself, I have to tell you like five bad ones to make up for it, right? In that preaching 101. So when Corey and I were first married, I was uh, maybe not as wise as I am now. I don't think I'm wise now, but maybe not as wise even then. And uh, I did not fight fair. And yes, if you've ever wondered, do church leaders and their spouses fight all the time? But I didn't fight fair with my words. And if you know anything about me, I can be pretty quick with my words. Gift and curse. And I could use my words to make sure I won every argument. And I didn't just want to win all the time. Sometimes I wanted to destroy in the process. And words can hurt. And words can cause damage. And I'm thankful that Corey stuck by me. And I can say now we fight much more fair. I've figured it out. But where are you? And where would you put yourself? Just between you and God, in your own heart, how are you using words? Maybe James' worst or harshest thing he says about our tongue is this, but no one can tame the tongue. No one can tame the tongue. It's restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. Can we be honest? My guess is each and every one of us have come to a worship service at some point, sat in a pew, or turned on our TV and sat on our couch, sang songs about how much God loves us, how much we love God, had a moving emotional experience, clicked off the TV, the doorbell rings, or walked out, got in our car, got on the highway into the fast lane, and as we bring our takeout into the house and open it up, or as we get into the fast lane, we get behind a car that's going less than the speed limit in the fast lane. That is what the left lane is for, by the way. And we have cursed that person. Maybe not to their face, or maybe to their face. But we've let words come spewing out of our mouth that actually takes someone who is created in God's image, who bears the image of God who loves them, and we've allowed our tongue, because of a short frustration, to quickly tear them apart. 
I don't think it's any accident that our taste buds are located on our tongues, on this muscle that has the power to destroy. I want you to think back over the words you've spoken this week. Would you describe them as salty? Maybe a little bite to them? Would they be bitter? Something deep-seated that's bugging you? Would they be sour? Or would they be words spoken to tear down, to gossip about, to lie about somebody else? Or have our words been sweet? Have they been an encouragement, an affirmation, an inspiration to somebody? We unfortunately live in a time when it's not just the words we speak. What about the words you typed on a screen? The words you sent in that email or the words you put on social media? How would they fall? What about the words we speak to ourselves? We live in divided and divisive times. And my guess is there are words that each of us have said about someone's appearance, ethnic identity, political stance that shows them as less than. Less than God created them to be. Less than who God says they are. And maybe we need to go back and say we're sorry for those words that we spoke so flippantly or without thought. And the great thing about James, he doesn't actually want to guilt or shame you, and that's not my goal today either. Because he says, hey, we're all in the same boat. Did you catch that? All make mistakes in James 2. We would be perfect if we could control our tongues. It seems so easy. Two ounces. If I could control two ounces, I would be perfect, James says. And no one. So we're all in this boat together. If you're sitting here thinking, I don't need a sermon about words, James would look at you and say, liar. That's not me, so don't get mad. That's James, right? I can, I'll just pass the buck and hide behind James. I think what James knew and what James says is that this issue of our tongue is much deeper. And if you'll turn back to James in James chapter 3, verse 11, I think we'll see this is a matter of the heart. James chapter 3, verse 11. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No. And you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. If you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying, for jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at times, and willing to yield to others. It's full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism, and it is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest 
of righteousness. It seems clear to me that godly wisdom in our hearts is evident by the words of our mouth. You see, the words we speak originate somewhere. And for James and the other authors of Scripture, that point where those words originate is our heart. Maybe no clearer than Psalm 19, 14. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. You see, when we follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit fills our hearts and changes us from the inside out. Now, that's not like he just moved in and he's walking around or doing a little dance in your left ventricle. That's not how the Holy Spirit works. But he comes in and takes over our bodies, makes resident inside, residence inside of us and leads us and does the work that we can't do. No man can tame the tongue. But God, through the power of the Holy Spirit at work in the lives of us who have said, yes, I want to follow Jesus. The Holy Spirit does that work in us. And that's actually the point of James's entire book. Is that as followers of Jesus, as people who have said, yes, Jesus, you are Lord of my life. You are my Savior. I want to follow you. The Holy Spirit should provide joy for us when we face trials of any kinds. And that work of the Holy Spirit in us, he uses to develop perseverance. James tells us in the beginning of James 1. The Holy Spirit at work in our hearts is how we become doers of God's word. It's how we fight prejudice and favoritism in James chapter 2. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in us that gives us the strength and the courage and the faith to live out and be people who live our faith by our actions every day. And now in James 3, it's the Holy Spirit who enables us to control our tongues. This is the work God does in our lives as we surrender to him. Paul makes it clear in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I think if you would take those verses and put them up against James 3, 17 and 18, you'll see a lot of the same words. It's the Holy Spirit that's doing this. So maybe when you were a kid and you said something you weren't supposed to say, your mom stuck a, stuck a bar of soap in your mouth. I may have had that experience on a time or two. I think James isn't saying we need a bar of soap in our mouth. James is saying the truth is we need a heart replacement. We need God to come in and fix our hearts. We need to confess to the God who loves us and wants what's best for us. Sometimes our hearts are just full of jealousy, selfishness, and pride. We need to allow his spirit to remind us of the image that God puts in us, that we are his unique creation, his masterpiece, and that we are also his ambassadors to go and tell others about the love that is available to them through this God who created them. 
Our words matter because godly wisdom in our hearts is evident by the words of our mouth. So how do we know if we have this godly wisdom? If you've been here for a while, you know a couple years back, Zach and I had an argument over acronyms. It was a fun, jestful argument over acronyms. I have to admit this morning, Zach wins. Acronyms work. So my acronym for you this morning is as you take this home with you, I want you to think about the words you say. Are the words we speak true? Are we speaking things that are true? Are we sharing things on social media that we know are true? Or are we sharing gossip or lies? Have we checked with our source? Have we gone to the person and had a conversation? Are our words helpful? Are we saying things that encourage the other person? Are we offering advice that they actually ask for? I think we can all think about a time we've offered advice and nobody really wanted it. Are our words inspiring? Do our words offer encouragement? Do people come and meet with you and walk away with a lighter burden, a little more joy, a little more happiness, a little less stressed out? Or when people come and meet and talk with us, do they walk away a little more anxious, a little more depressed? Are they necessary? If I'm honest, this is the hardest one for me. I have all kinds of words all the time. I have multiple opinions about just about everything you could ask about. Are our words necessary? So often people come and they don't want a single word from you. We actually could make this a lot easier on ourselves if we just didn't speak sometimes. They didn't come to get advice. They didn't come to figure out how to fix their problem. What they wanted is someone who loved them enough to be present, to let them cry on their shoulder. Yeah, even in COVID, to cry on their shoulder. And our words aren't necessary in that moment. Are our words kind? Are the words we're speaking affectionate and caring? If so, then godly wisdom is flowing from our hearts. I think Dumbledore might be right. Dark and difficult times lie ahead. Soon we must all face the choice between what's right and what's easy. We're living in some of the most difficult and anxious, pressure-filled times we've ever lived in. We get the choice to do the easy thing, to take the shot at somebody that's set up on a tee for us because it will make us fit in in that moment. To be the one who keeps looking for more information. Or we can do the hard work. Surrendering our lives to the Holy Spirit and allowing God to work in our lives to share his love with others.
Maybe the hardest question we can ask ourselves is this. Would people know we are, a, we are Christians before we said it based on the other things we say? And so as we close this morning, I want to give you some time to reflect back, to pray to God. Maybe you need to confess something to him. Maybe you need to ask for wisdom. James tells us in 1.5, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. Maybe you've never chosen to follow Jesus. And you think, you know what? If that's the work he's going to do in my life, then I want to follow. This is your time to talk to God about whatever you need to talk to that's on your heart. Will you pray with me? God, thank you. Thank you for the people who you've brought into our lives, who have spoken words of encouragement, words that built us up, words that set our life in a new direction. God, use us to be people like that in the lives of those around us today. That people would look back at our words and say, you know what, the words you spoke, the encouragement you poured in, the way you helped me changed my life. Not just here, but it changed it for eternity because you introduced me to a God who loves me more than I can ever imagine. God, forgive us. We are sinful people who make mistakes. And God, we're sorry. We're sorry for the words we've spoken that tear others down, that don't represent you well. And God, we are thankful for your grace and your mercy that is new every morning and for your love that never ends and isn't contingent on our behavior. God, we don't understand that kind of love all the time, but we are thankful that that is the way you love us. God, thanks. Make us wise people who speak words that matter into the lives of those around us and use our words, Father, to draw others to you so that they can know and experience the love that you have for them. Be at work in our lives. We pray all this in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.